Welcome to The Source from the ATA, conversations about telehealth and virtual care from the thought leaders, experts, and visionaries who are working to change the way the world thinks about healthcare. I'm your host, Greg Matthews, and our guests today are Mark Noble and Dr. Richard Bacalar of VitalNet. Mark serves as the Executive Vice President of Business Development at VitalNet, where he brings over 25 years of experience in telecommunications, visual collaboration, and healthcare. Richard, VitalNet's Chief Strategy Officer, has over 35 years of clinical, telehealth, medical informatics, and healthcare executive leadership experience, including being the first to introduce telehealth to the U.S. Navy during the course of his service. On today's episode, we'll talk to Richard and Mark about VitalNet's participation in a unique competition sponsored by the U.S. military called the National Emergency Telecritical Care Network, or NETSEN. The project started in June with nine competitors, including some names that everyone will recognize. Deloitte, Verizon, Discovery Network, GE Healthcare, Microsoft, Medtronic, and Philips. But we'll also talk about what telehealth looks like in a post-COVID world and who's positioned to win in that environment. Thanks for joining us on The Source from the ATA. We'll be right back with Dr. Richard Bacalar and Mark Noble from VitalNet. Mark and Richard, thanks so much for being with us today on ATA's Source. Hey, thanks for inviting us, Greg. I've been really excited to talk to you because there's so many exciting things going on, not just in the world of telehealth, but specifically for VitalNet. But before we dive into the details, I want to give our listeners a little bit of context about who you are. And so I wonder if you would mind giving giving us a, a sense of what were some of the signposts or or milestones in your career that sort of led you to be at VitalNet at this moment in time. Uh, Mark, you want to take that first? Absolutely, Greg, and, and uh, great question. Uh, back in 2009, I was helping a video conferencing company build a vertical market strategy, and I knew there was a compelling use case for what we had, you know, for for healthcare. Uh, but I needed to be smarter about the market. So what I did was reached out to some folks at the Telehealth Resource Center that were hosting a symposium, and they had invited me to join them. Uh, I totally fell in love with the problem that they were looking to solve, provide everyone with access to the care they need to live their healthiest lives. Now, that's a mission that I could certainly get behind. Over the course of the next nine years, we had captured more than a third of the U.S. provider market. But as many of my customers continued to advance up the telehealth maturity curve, I started finding that they needed more than just video. What I was hearing from my customers was that they needed the telehealth to integrate with their existing health IT infrastructure, specifically the EHR. They had made lots of investments in different technologies, and yet every time they went to implement something new, it didn't fit with what they already had. They needed Mm -hmm. more interoperability. They were telling me that the workflow needed to feel more like in-person care and uh, the the workflows that were provided were not flexible enough to allow for that. And finally, they needed to make their physicians more efficient by providing everything that they needed within a single pane of glass so that they didn't have to log in remotely to six different systems and, and, uh, and spend a lot of time administratively instead of, uh, you know, delivering care. Right. What, I, what I found was that VitalNet had all of that. So that's what got me here. Fantastic. And Richard, I know you've had, you've also had a, a 
long and storied career. Can you tell us a little bit about how you came to be sitting at VitalNet today? Well, thank you. Yes, uh, Greg. Um, well, one of the things that as a chief strategy officer for VitalNet, uh, I recognize that the uh, good strategy requires knowledge of the industry and experience over a variety of different domains. And I started my career as a clinician in the Navy and got to know VitalNet as one of the early pioneers in telehealth way back in the 1990s. And then further along, uh, I had the opportunity to set up the Navy's telemedicine program. So I worked very closely with uh, VitalNet and others at that particular time, working with the other services. Moving on in my transition to the private sector, I worked in industry as a subject matter expert in technology and a business consultant uh, later on. And then finally, as president of the American Telemedicine Association, all this gave me the opportunity to help move the needle of this early this company that has been waiting for this opportunity, which has now pre- presented itself with a very strong leadership team, a great configurable platform, and a roadmap for innovation. So it was a no-brainer to, to be able to take the experiences I've had in the past and really help VitalNet uh, move to the next level. Outstanding. You know, I mentioned, guys, in the introduction uh, that you are a part of a really interesting competition right now. And uh, we can talk about how much of a competition that is at the moment. But I wonder if we could start by just talking a little bit about the Netson competition, just a couple of words on what it is, but really more, why did VitalNet decide to be a part of it? Yeah, great question, Greg. So uh, just to frame it out, uh, Netson stands for National Emergency Telecritical uh, Care Network. And the um, uh, the whole premise behind the program was that, um, you know, the United States wanted to be prepared uh, for any natural disaster or future health emergency, you know, the likes of COVID-19, for example, uh, to be able to respond to these health systems that totally get crushed when emergency strikes and, uh, and provide the expertise uh, remotely to be able to deliver uh, you know, the care that's necessary to, to get people through those, those crises. Uh, there's a number of things that made this project compelling for VitalNet, uh, not the least of which is a, a very rich history that VitalNet has in collaborating with Tatric to innovate in telehealth. Uh, the company had received funding from Congress back in the early 2000s to study telehealth continuum of care and work with Tatric to engineer solutions for the VA and DOD. A lot of great stuff came out of that, uh, not the least of which was you know, real remote patient monitoring for the first time into uh, to patient homes. Additionally, the nature of the program itself, it was built for speed, which works really well for uh, VitalNet and and one of our core strengths and the flexibility of our development platform that enables us to uh, configure what we've already got, which covers the whole continuum of care for telehealth, in order to meet specific needs and, and workflows. Uh, so there's really good alignment around that. What do you think, Rich? Well, you know, this project is a highly mission-focused, being driven by the Army, it's a very mission-focused initiative, uh, and it aligns very well with our strength in solving problems for existing uh, solutions. And so one of the things we were very excited about was when Avera asked us to participate with them in this project, having worked with them for several years now on their behavioral health and their uh, 
uh, telehealth scheduling module for multi-specialty clinics with the Indian Health Service. So we had a, a, a relationship with them and have had an opportunity to share both clinical as well as operational experiences that they've had over the last 15 to 20 years and implement that into the platform. So it was very exciting for us to be able to partner with them and take advantage of their experience and their knowledge and incorporate that into the platform, which then could help uh, a very important and national uh, urgency right now. It's hard to imagine something more relevant uh, than the work that's being done uh, in this process right now. It's very exciting. And it's not surprising that there were a lot of uh, a lot of the really big names in telehealth came out to participate, but not just in telehealth, uh, really a lot of companies that are big in the technology space. Uh, we saw names like Microsoft and Google. I, I guess I'm curious, against the kind of competition that you're facing, some really big monstrous folks, how does VitalNet stack up? How, how can you win against the big guys? Well, that, you know, uh, Greg, that's a very interesting question. And I think the, the reason is because we're small and agile, and we've been doing this for a long time, over 30 mm-hmm. years. We've been solving problems, addressing uh, new challenges, and adapting the solution to the customer needs. And so most of the larger organizations have a cookie-cutter approach to telehealth, where they tell the customer how to perform um, protocols, and uh, and it, they do it very efficiently. However, it doesn't necessarily integrate with their daily workflow, whereas our solution is designed to integrate with daily workflow and data sharing uh, with their existing capabilities and systems. So what we are able to do is provide a scalable and a sustainable model that's built on efficiency, workflows, interoperability, and a lot of feedback from the c- clinical teams which is fairly unique in technology, uh, having spent some time with multiple large organizations such as uh, Microsoft and IBM in the past, whereas they typically tell the clinicians how to practice healthcare oftentimes, and uh, they do it very right. well, but nevertheless, uh, it's not very customized. And this was something that was a new problem that needed to be configured based on current needs, not on prior, uh, not the last war kind of, so to speak. Yeah, Rich is spot on with that, Greg. And just to, to add to that, one other thing in terms of how you know VitalNet uh, competes with the big guys is that we don't take a world beater approach, right? Uh, as a platform, we look to focus on where our core strengths are, and then partner with others who can add value to the uh, uh, the platform and to our customers effectively. So we've got really strong partnerships with, uh, you know, some large and some small innovative um, organizations in order to be able to uh, deliver the totality of what our customers uh, need. So that's really uh, a big piece of what puts us in position to succeed against anybody. It's really interesting. And it sounds like a very sort of modular and pragmatic approach that allows you to solve a lot of different kinds of problems as opposed to, uh, as opposed to, uh, you know, having a, a hammer and finding that every problem looks like a nail. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, uh, and having that modular approach also becomes very customer centric in that you're helping them to solve problems instead of just selling technology to them. Because like I said before, almost everybody has some set of technology they've already invested in, some of which works really well for them. So why would they want to disrupt that in order to add new capability? It completely makes sense. And it actually tees up the next question that I had for you, because I know uh, Richard and I were talking in our pre-interview about the fact that uh, the competition 
and I'm making air quotes there, is down to four teams. And at this point, it looks as though all four may continue forward uh, based on the funding structure. I'm curious, knowing now that it's less a competition with other entities and more a competition with yourself to see how successful you can be. Tell, tell me about some of the things that you hope to be able to take back from this experience to be able to apply to your core business at VitalNet. Sure. You know, one of the things that uh, is very uh, interesting is this is not only a current need solution, but also an opportunity to be parting to shape the future. And what do I mean by that? Well, we're involved working with both Tatric and uh, Health and Human Services on this initiative uh, because we're solving a near-term problem today, but we're also working with Tatric, which is a research arm of the Army, where we're helping uh, develop relationships with key government and commercial networks that are not only solving the problem today with COVID and uh, other health hazards that may be uh, challenging our health system, but working towards the future. And so we work with uh, customers, we work with partners, and have the opportunity to standardize and have a seat at the table, which we might otherwise not have um, Mm. because we're a relatively small company. But because we have the agility to be able to adapt, we've been given that opportunity to be at the table and help shape the future, not only the present. Yeah. And just to, to add on to that, Greg, um, you know, one of the things that uh, we take away from this is we've had this platform that, uh, like I said, really supports the whole continuum of care. Mm-hmm. But we've always connected those different elements of the continuum down at the data level. Through Netson, we're now connecting at the application level, which now gets you to a point where you can literally transfer patients from the home environment into the acute care space and back, have complete you know, continuity in, in terms of that care and the way uh, you know, providers are, are delivering that care. And it goes a long way to what I talked about earlier about making telehealth feel more like health. And, and less like tele. So it becomes a really natural extension to the way care is delivered and helps bridge that gap between the, uh, the, the remote and in-person. It's, it sounds like a perfect sort of test case to be able to come out of and then, you know, begin to work in, you know, what hopefully soon will be a post-COVID world. Um, all of the listeners to this podcast are well aware of the absolute explosion in telehealth that's happened over the last six months. I'm curious what you guys are seeing now uh, as the rush potentially slows down a little bit for COVID. What has it meant for your business and the people that use VitalNet? Yeah, and that's that's a really great question, Greg, because um, you know COVID really has changed the game for telehealth. It, it was basically the coming out party for for telehealth. And uh, what happened was all the health systems, uh, you know, kind of trial by fire went from doing single digits to low double digits in terms of percentage of their uh, visits via telehealth to suddenly doing 80% and above of their visits via telehealth, mm-hmm. which meant their telehealth groups had to work overtime trying to figure out how to get these docs connected to two patients and with the relaxation and, and regulations and such to uh, accommodate the health emergency, uh, it was a scramble to use anything and everything they can get their hands on effectively. 
and hats off to the folks who put in that hard work to make that happen uh, because it, 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 was a, it was a mountain to be moved and they made it happen and, and kept things moving forward. And what happens now is, is uh, in the, you know, the, the lull over the summer where things started to slow down a bit on the COVID side, what we saw is everybody tried to catch their breath and said, oh, my God, this is for real. This is going to be here to stay. Uh, and we've got to figure out how to do this in a scalable fashion. And that mm-hmm. got people thinking about how do I do this differently? How do I do this in a way that I can manage it across my health system instead of doing it in one-off pockets on a per-service line basis? And that leads to you know, the, the view and thought about platform. Suddenly things, when you're, you're doing volumes like they've been doing, uh, things like uh, compliance around language interpretation and, and language uh, uh, communications, becomes really, really critical. When you're only doing a, a handful of telehealth visits in a, in a given week, uh, the number of limited English proficient or deaf or hard of hearing patients is pretty small. And you can triage that with some of the glass-to-glass technologies that people try to do in, in telehealth for um, you know, getting, getting patient and provider to uh, communicate well. But when you're doing it at very large volume and 20% of the population uh, falls into that category of limited English proficient or deaf or hard of hearing, making that more efficient, making that more effective in terms of communication and meeting those compliance requirements becomes really important for a health system. So those are some of the things that people are thinking about and how it's, it's kind of transforming. You know, Mark, that's a really good point. One of the things I would also offer is the fact that we're moving from a transition from and a balance of individual episodic health care to a more continuous population health care and situational awareness. And what do I mean by that? Well, in the past, uh, we focused telehealth for individual episodes of care, particularly for patients who have relatively minor acute problems or patients with chronic conditions who may need um, uh, follow-up on a, a regular basis. But what we've learned in COVID is we need to be able to provide not only those traditional telehealth uh, virtual encounters, but we also need to look at populations as a group. So, for example, patients during the COVID period, uh, many of them were at home, uh, either didn't know what to do, weren't able to transfer to a hospital emergency department or an urgent care facility because of the concerns over infection and so forth. So they would basically be at home without uh, a provider. And so having a way to look at a whole population of patients who were pre-tested as positive or those patients who weren't yet tested or those patients who were tested but not sick enough to be hospitalized, looking them as a group where case managers can then survey them and monitor them on a regular basis and identify the ones who are getting sicker and bring them into the hospital so they wouldn't be slipping through the cracks. A lot of patients in New York, for example, were lost because they weren't being followed uh, at home and they would actually die at home without care. And so looking at populations of health is becoming more and more critical in our health system, not only for COVID, but for other chronic conditions or other infectious concerns in the future. The other is is that uh, just like when we had electronic health records several years ago, we had to really uh, adapt and re-engineer the digital world from the analog world. And I think this is another example where we can incorporate better thought flow into our telehealth platforms going forward so we get better decision support by uh, providers 
um, and, and eventually start automation in there. And what do I mean by that? Well, we have the ability to start having closed loop uh, autonomous systems, for example, ventilator supported at distance or um, trying to maintain medication infusions for patients with unstable blood pressure or pain control. So the ability to use technology to automate and allow the clinicians to only manage those patients that needs a clinician's direct care and have closed loop systems with humans in the loop to make sure that patients get the appropriate care, but automate those things that can't be automated. And I think that's the excitement for the future as we go forward is the ability to take lessons learned from other industries, such as the automobile industry and automate driving, uh, we can do the same thing in healthcare, and we can do it at a distance. And that's going to be the future of telehealth, much more so than single episodes of care with video. It's really interesting because I think, you know, as a member of the general public, which I'll, I'll count myself in that number, I've thought about the changes in telehealth more as a matter of volume uh, than actual changes in what the service looks like. But what you're describing are the beginning of some very different use cases, um, you know, rather than just uh, the individual visits, as you describe, how are telehealth companies going to be able to keep up if they are structured around the individual visit? How, how, do, how do they make that transition to really providing that type of seamless end-to-end closed-loop care that you're just describing? Well, one of the lessons uh, learned is that when organizations tried to ramp up their telehealth services, they incorporated video into their existing infrastructure, and that was all. Uh, they didn't take as much attention to the data data capture uh, or medical device uh, data capture. Uh, they focused primarily on the video interaction, the collaboration piece. In order to be able to use machine learning, artificial intelligence, the things that are really going to be needed to be able to take advantage of uh, digital technology to unload the saturation of uh, clinicians and allow the clinicians to make decisions where necessary, but allow machines to control those other patients who don't need decisions in uh, uh, an acute basis, we need the data. And so one of the things that telehealth platforms of the future are going to have is a much more higher emphasis on data collection, the right data, the timely data, and accurate data that can be pooled with other big data to be able to do these uh, automation uh, or autonomous system solutions that we've seen in other industries and can now be applied to more complex healthcare uh, uh, use cases and applications. And, and it's very astute of you, Greg, to, to make that observation uh, from, from a technology provider's perspective. If you were geared around uh, more of an application model as opposed to a platform model, that shift becomes that much more difficult to make. You're basically mm-hmm. starting over. Uh, whereas you know those who took a, a platform-based approach um, are, are more ready and agile to be able to add uh, the the new applications, if you will, as uh, as those use cases you know become ramped up. I think that it is so exciting to think about that future, uh, and it's going to be really interesting to see how companies do respond um, as these things that we've wished for and dreamed about for years actually sound as though they may be more possible than they've ever been. Um, I want to thank both of you, um, Dr. Richard Bacalar, Mark Noble, 
for being a part of ATA Source today. We're going to provide a list of resources in our show notes so that uh, you can link back to learn more about uh, VitalNet and about our two guests. Um, but gentlemen, if you, uh, if anybody wants to reach out directly, wants to learn more about what you're doing, whether it's with Netsin or in the, the core business of VitalNet, what's your recommendation for them? Hey, you can reach right out to uh, info at vitalnet.com or visit our website at www.vitalnet.com. Fantastic. Thanks so much, guys. Have a great day. And to our listeners, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to The Source from the ATA. We want to hear from you. What topics should we cover? Who would you like to hear from? To share your comments and suggestions, and for more information about the ATA, telehealth, and virtual care, please visit our website, americantelemed.org, and our American Telemed accounts on LinkedIn and Twitter. Finally, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and share this podcast on your favorite platforms. It really makes a difference. Copyright 2020 ATA. All rights reserved.